Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. By singing dog. <laughs> Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.
Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. We got a great one for everybody tonight. We're almost done with the month of August. It's the 20th. One more show to go, and we start heading into the fall season around here. I cannot believe how fast this year has gone by. It seems like the older we get, the months and the years just keep going by quicker and quicker. Hey, but you know what? We got a great show for everybody tonight. Our good friend, Joe Cangelosi, he's got a new band called A Civil War. We debuted a track by the band a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he'll be calling in at around 7.15. Scott Owen was supposed to call in with him, but he's a little under the weather. So we'll just catch up with Joe tonight. Start things off, Mikey Cunningham from the Aftermath. He will be calling in. And then Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot is going to wrap up tonight's show. Man, we got a whole bunch of great guests coming up next week also, but I'm starting to set things up for September. That'll be our nine-year anniversary show, and I am looking forward to that. So uh, we got a lot happening around here. All right, let's jump into some brand new music. I was trying to get on new Venom Incorporated, Venom Inc., last week, but I forgot to upload the music. So let's jump into that right now. Uh, it's not a bad record. I mean, it's a little combination of the earlier Venom stuff, you know, that featured Mantis and Abaddon and the days with Kronos, and it's got a little bit of that Prime Evil vibe, mostly because of Tony's voice. Uh, so it's a nice little combination of both and a new modern update. But uh, let me know what you think about it. Here's Metal We Bleed.
Base rolling.
Dead Engine with Termination Day, that comes off the whole of Grudge record from back in 1988. I mean, it's almost 30 years old already, that record. I know a few years back, I was in touch with the singer Scott Litz from the band uh, by trying to get him on the show, but it kind of never went anywhere at that point. Maybe I'll see if I could find him again or reach out to him or another member and get them back on the show. I, I think at that point in time, they were reuniting or about to reunite or something was going on with the group. And it kind of fizzled out, I guess, because really we haven't heard anything about the band in all this time. Uh, so I don't know what the status is, but I will try to find them again and get them back on the show. Uh, for the month of uh, September, we've got a couple of new people returning. You know, actually, new guests are going to be on the show. We've never interviewed before. A couple of returning favorites. And I've dug up quite a few classic underground bands, especially from here in the New York area, uh, who haven't been together in probably 30 years. But it's always fun talking to them. Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes I really don't have anything at all to say. But uh, we dug up a few classic underground bands from back in the demo days. And we'll get them all on during the month of September. Loudness have a brand new record coming out, Rise to Glory. It doesn't sound too bad for what I hear so far. It should be out this January. I mean, Loudness is one of these bands that keep plugging away year after year, a new record every year pretty much. Uh, they kind of just fly into the rail these new records. They don't get a lot of airplay, a lot of attention, but they're out there and they're still doing it, and they're, you know, they're not bad-sounding records. I mean, they're still putting out pretty good quality music. I mean, Akira is an amazing guitar player and songwriter. He just keeps plugging away at it. All right, let me see. About uh, 15 minutes or so, we'll be talking to Mikey Cunningham from the Aftermath. Uh, he's an amazing guitar player. He's got a brand new record coming out soon, and we'll play something off his last record. We'll find out what's going on in his world down in Florida, a place I really kind of wish I was. And I know I'm going to wish I was there in a few more months when it's cold here in New York. But until then, we'll just have to get by and enjoy the nice weather. Right now, let's go back to the demo days from Anger. Here's Victim of Power. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
All right, you know, since Gerard is in the chat room for a little bit, we have to play some American. One step too far, right before that, Titan with women on the front line. The band has been really active lately. Uh, they've been playing a lot of festivals and a lot of shows. Hopefully we'll get another new record out of the group real soon. Uh, the last one was pretty good, I have to say. All right, well, Mikey Cunningham from the Aftermath will be calling in any minute now. Uh, so we'll just kind of wait around uh, until he does. Uh, until then, uh, they're having the new, uh, well, this year's edition of the Bolt Ferrani uh, charity event where, you know, a lot of uh, musicians and celebrities get together. They kind of bowl and raise money for uh, Ronnie's charity. Maybe Wendy will bring uh, the deal hologram to the bowling alley and have Ronnie in a bowling shirt helping out with the cause. <laughs> you never know, but that is happening. The, the Ronnie James deal hologram tour is about to start. And uh, I mean, I personally have no interest in going to see it, but I'm curious to kind of take a look. I mean, it's like one of those curiosity type of things. I really do <laughs> see what it's all about, but I don't think I could bring myself to go into a club to see a hologram of Ronnie. I have to be honest with you. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. You know, people are going to be videotaping it and filming it anyway. Uh, so we'll just have to wait till then to check it out and see what happens with that. All right. What else is going on here in the news this week? Vinny Vincent. Vinny Vincent is back. I mean, this guy really fell off planet Earth for a lot of years. I want to say even decades. The last time we heard about him was maybe four or five years ago when he had some kind of uh, trouble with his wife. And uh, I want to say he was arrested. Don't quote me. I don't remember the whole story. But that was the last time we heard anything about him. But he will be appearing at the Kiss Expo in Atlanta. Uh, so, I mean, Vinny was an amazing guitar player. And let, let's face it. He kind of revitalized Kiss in the 80s, you know, when the makeup came off and he was a part of the band. I mean, he was in the band with the makeup on too, but when makeup came off and, and Lick It Up came out and Animalize, he was a major part of the songwriting team. And, you know, that kind of took the band to another level back in the day. So uh, hopefully he'll actually get back into music after this. We'll see what happens. Right, I do believe we have uh, Mikey on the line. Let's connect Mikey Cunningham and find out what's going on in his world. Hey, Mike, you there? Yeah, yes, I'm here, I'm here. Hey, Mike, hey, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. It's great to talk with you today. All right, heavy metal mayhem. Right hey, we're, <laughs> we're doing what we can, but hey, listen, you know, you're out there in sunny Florida down south. I mean, how's the scene over there today? Is it is it pretty vibrant? Is there a lot going on? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there, there there's a lot of, lot of really, uh, I mean, like, younger uh, heavy metal, uh, very talented bands. And, and the local area here, uh, where I'm at, especially, I mean, he, uh, these guys are all about it, you know, and they, uh, you know, there's a few, uh, a few venues here that, well, venues, a, a few, a few small places that, you know, they like to, they, they let them, they let them play and put on shows. And, uh, you know, I, I, I play some of those shows every now and then with them. And, uh, yeah, it, it, especially like in West Palm beach now, West Palm beach. I mean, it, it's pretty big scene there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk about the band. I mean, I guess Aftermath is is the official band. How did it all come about? When did it get started? Um, I think it was actually only about four years ago that that I embarked on this whole thing. Um, I just I was uh I've I've always played in you know cover bands and and you know when I was a younger kid I I was in a couple you know original bands and we wrote our own songs but you know we were either too young to play gigs or we never made out of the bedroom for whatever reason, you know. Yeah. <laughs> As far as playing, but um, yeah, I just I, I just I don't know. I I um I had quit drinking like some eight years ago, and so the bar life really wasn't for me anymore anyway. And you know, playing in cover bands, you you play a, a ton of a shit ton of bars, you know. And uh, so I just I don't know. 
I, I had a, a, a ton of these riffs and just songs that I've always wanted to put together. And they were along the lines of the guitar instrumental thing. And um, so I just, I, I started putting these uh, drum loops together for some of the ideas I had, you know, making these haphazard versions of these songs and uh, just to, you know, send out to drummers and whatnot to say, hey, man, you know, this is the kind of stuff we're writing. Are you interested? And uh, Eventually I got the, the three piece together and um, uh, that the rest is history. We just, uh, you know, just come up with riffs and uh, write cool instrumentals and, um, you know, and uh, just do our thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, a three piece band, I mean, Every member's really got to pull its own weight, right? I mean, each guy's got to be in sync with the other because, you know, you're carrying the load of the whole band. Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. It's like, you know, especially like, uh, let's say if we're doing like a, a cover, which we do at times, we always slip one cover in the set. Like, um, I think we did like uh, uh, a Joe Satriani tune one time. Well, you know, uh, Joe and them, they always, they usually, there's a rhythm guitar player, a keyboardist, you know, drummer, and, you know, we're a three-piece, so you have to, uh, each person, like you said, has to carry their weight. Like the bass player might become the bassist and the slash keyboardist, you know, where we're not actually playing a keyboard, but I mean, as far as the parts that are played, each each member has to sometimes substitute and instead of playing the actual bass part, you know, she would play the keyboard part or, you know, what have you. Um, kind of like a guitar player when, if I cover a song that has lyrics in it, well, I don't normally, I don't sing. And uh, and I would rather do an instrumental version. So I would do the uh, the vocals with the guitar, let's say, you know. It's kind of, yeah, with a three-piece, though, I find that the music, it it, it just, uh, it the three elements are always there in any band, you know, any band. It, it Guitar, bass, and drums, you know. And, and, you know, even with a vocalist, it's still basically a three-piece band, you know, with the exception of the, the vocals on top. You know, you still you have a, a a guitar, a bass, and drums, and that's you know, as long as you have that, I mean, sky's the limit, I would suppose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, well, right now you have two albums out, right? I know you uh, did the third. Did the brown paper bag come out already? Or are you still working on that? I uh, know the third one I'm working on right now. Um, it's probably halfway completed. Uh, you know, really uh, taking my time with it. You know, I really want to. I want to grow, you know, as a musician and a band, you know, I want each record to kind of, you listen to the first one, like I listened to the first one the other day and, you know, and compared to the second one, and there's definitely some growth there, you know, and uh, it, it's always nice when you can take your time and, and make a nice record and you can kind of not compare it to the other ones, but you can hear the difference, you know, as you go, as you evolve. Yeah, from electro-psychotic to massive headwind, you could tell there's a, a change in the band. That's a natural progression. So is that is that the goal, to progress with each album into a different sound, or just is it just the way it goes from, like, you know, your influence that come between album to album? Yeah, yeah, because I'm, you know, being an instrumental shred guitarist, it's, it's you know, I'm 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 so focused and, and, and tuned into every guitar player that you run across, you know. Every time I see somebody... You know, whether it's on online or or I'm at a show, you know, and you know any guitar player, anytime I see a, another guitarist play, I always kind of take something from that, you know. Yeah. You can always take somebody, so it's yeah, and it, it, I I guess you know, as I go, I just I discover new people, I get influenced in different ways, and 
and yeah, hopefully it shows through, and you know, and it, it, it maybe I become a better musician in the process, for sure. Well, I mean, you're a phenomenal guitarist, and when you listen to the music, you could tell that you can really go off if you wanted to, but you keep it very restrained on some songs. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I have to catch myself too. I'm, I'm really bad at that whole, uh, just you know, 200 miles per hour shredding thing. I'm, I'm very guilty of it, you know, <laughs> like no feel, all shred, and I, I always yeah. have to. That's why I've really taken my time with this new record, and I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, channel more the musical side of the fretboard, you know, and really make it talk this time. And, uh, you know, there's, there, don't get me wrong, there, you know, there, there's some face melting uh, moments for sure. <laughs> um, there has to be, but uh, yeah, for sure, you know, you have to, uh, you have to know when. And there's most of your great guitar players are great for that reason. You know, they know when, and, um, you know, you don't have to be the, the most master, you know, shredder of all time or perfect technique or whatever. It's just knowing when to do and, you know, pretty much what to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think your dog wants to go out. Oh, no, no. We, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> me and my wife and I run a, a, a small rescue here at, at our, uh, the aftermath uh, ranch out here. So uh, what you're hearing is uh, part of the panel out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, she'll she'll be coming home any minute, so it'll probably get a little worse in the background there. That's okay. <laughs> you know, Mike, talking about music and like you know, an instrumental, is the instrumental market a tough sell today? Is there is there an audience out there? You know, because I love a little bit of everything. Is it strictly instrumental for you? Do you think somewhere down the road you would add vocals and, and lyrics to the songs, or is instrumental just the way you want to go, you prefer to go? It's just where I prefer to go, and it's 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 really, I mean, you're right. It's it's not a uh, radio market or, a, you know, really even a, I mean, unless you're, you know, Ingrid Malmsteen or anything, you're not really going to sell any records, you know. Um, mostly, it. I think it, it, it's it's always been better served as a live racket. Because you know when you watch when you watch these guys play these records live, the the delivery, the presentation of the songs, I think you know that's and that's what I always loved about it because I really enjoy seeing it live, you know. So especially so um, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's not really uh, you know for putting lyrics in it for the sake of you know it'll sell. Rather than yeah, it's it's just the way I want to go. It's just what I like doing. But uh, you know, with the internet and everything, it's it's not as scarce as it used to be. You know, back in the day when all you had was MTV or or the radio. You know, that and this stuff wasn't really radio friendly. I mean, you had your super legendary guys that would pop up on MTV like Steve I and all them. But you know, you wouldn't know about the others. But now with social media and the internet just running rampant the way it is. Well, man, I mean, you can you can pick a hundred. You can go online now and and see two hundred guitars within twenty minutes. So, you know, guitar players out there, and you know, ultra just polished and just phenomenal guitar players. So, I don't know if I'd say it, it, it's hard any harder than anything now. You know, it's just a matter of finding the right audience for sure. Yeah, true. Uh, Mike, when you when you're composing a song, I mean, do you compose a song differently when it's a strictly instrumental song compared to the way you would write a song chorus verse with music? Because you do kind of have that in your music also. Uh, 
Yeah, um, believe it or not, I I approach it like a regular song. I approach it, um, uh, it, each song has to have like a riff and a verse, a chorus, you know, or maybe a, I, I guess the metal kids these days call them a breakdown, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's usually, well, that's, for me, that's solo time. You know, that's usually where the guitar, if you listen to some of the songs and and really listen to them closely, uh a lot of them you will you'll notice there's a, a verse and there's a chorus and then there's the guitar solo and then of course to the verse but it, it, it's it's slightly different because like I said now the guitar has to take over where the vocals used to be in a sense so yeah you you really have to as long as you can uh, you know sing with the the lead instrument you know you gotta and like I said it, it's not for everybody either. For sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, with the new record, I know you said you're working on it. You don't want to rush it out or anything like that, which I get. How is it recording today? I mean, the most artists have their own home studios because uh, everybody's kind of released everything on their own today. I mean, is that the way to go? It seems like it, yeah. I mean, um, you can go, you know, and take courses now and, and learn, you know, how to, uh, you know, record and, you know, engineer all everything you need to know and and with the technology these days and the stuff that's available you know to just the general public now i mean today's man you can really if you know what you're doing as far as miking and you understand frequencies and stuff of that nature you can really produce a quality recording you know anywhere you know because you know every studio is different the rooms are different you know every studio so each studio has its own character feel anyway to the recordings but um yeah i mean i i record all all three albums have been recorded here at the aftermath uh ranch in our studio and um i just i learned from uh years of spending a lot of money in big expensive studios and and uh you know learning from those guys asking the right questions you know and uh you know them explaining stuff to me and you know when you, you spend enough time around it, you, you really start picking up on it. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, learning and asking questions is a very important thing in any business or anything that you learn how to do. Do you find that most people today learning how to play instruments or working in a studio don't bother to learn their craft anymore? They just think by picking up an instrument and learning how to play on their own and just doing the best they can is all they offer. Like when nobody really wants to sit down and learn and learn how to master their instrument today. Um. No, I, I don't think so. I think uh you know, it's it it's a matter of uh you know, each individual how far they want to go with it, you know. Many guys will pick up the guitar or kids and you know, they wanna learn all their guns and roses tunes, their favorite guns and roses tunes and that's what they do, you know. Or maybe they like playing all the all their favorite all their favorite songs by their favorite bands and you know, they end up they they, they they make tribute bands or, or cover bands and that's what they do. And they're, they're fine with that. And if you're okay with that, hell yeah. You know, I think each individual is individuals were different. So everybody that picks up an instrument or, or anything for that matter, you know, every, everybody's going to have their own, uh, their own agenda with it. You know? Yeah. Sure. How did guitar playing come to you? Was it something that came naturally to you or something that you really had to work on and put a lot of effort into learning in the very beginning? Uh, it, yeah, and it, I'm still, 
it, it's, uh, I'm still, uh, well, you know, I'm very behind on the times. I'm still trying to, <laughs> my hardest to, to, to stay to where I'm not, you know, totally frightening to the ears, you know? Um, but, uh, no, you know, I, I, I as a little kid, you know, I, I remember running around with uh, little plastic guitars and whatnot, and that was just kind of always my favorite thing when I saw one of those things. You know, I went nuts. And um, then, you know, having a record player and an 8-track player in my room at 8 years old, you know, listening to, you know, either stuff my mom would bring home from garage sales, you know, just boxes of it, you know, or, or stealing my dad's records. You know, my dad listened to a lot of Sabbath and Van Halen and whatnot, so... <laughs> You know, yeah, I've always had a love for music, and then, uh, you know, he taught me a little blues riff when I was eight years old on an acoustic guitar that we had, and uh, when I was a teenager, I got an electric guitar, and I kind of, I've kind of just gone from there, you know, it just kind of was always something I could feel, or I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing it, you know, it felt like an accomplishment, you have a sense of accomplishment when you learn a new riff or a new lick, you know. Did it ever get frustrating early on where you just said, you know, I can't do this, I just don't, you know, I, I'm never going to figure this out, and you wanted to give up? Oh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm my own worst critic, I really am. You know, I'm always telling my wife how bad I suck and, you know, how far <laughs> behind times I am. And Oh, I'm serious, man. I, I see some – there's some stuff out there that's that's really scary, brother. I mean, it's <laughs> – insane these days um but yeah you know uh no you know I, there's you have bad hair days you know you'll have days sure. where you're just not feeling it but uh i don't i don't let that you know discourage me no i mean because you know it's just it's something i do you know I, I i try not to think about it i just play guitar and that's what i do you know so you know you just try to move forward it's always important to move forward and not not look back yeah. Concentrate on your strengths. Your strengths yep. at the moment. Concentrate on those. I couldn't agree more. Hey, Maggie, I'm going to have to let you go in a few minutes because I want to get on some music off the last record. we got other guests lined Great. up after you, but where's the best place for people to keep up with you, find out what's going on, when the new record will be available, where you're playing live? Is there a website people can go to or just on Facebook? Yes, uh, we're we're on Facebook. I'm on Facebook on three different sites. I have a personal and two band pages, and then I have a Reverb Nation also, and I also have a website, um, www.mikeycunningham.org. You can keep up with me at any of those sites. I'm all over social media, so <laughs> pretty much it's impossible to miss anybody these days. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Hey, Mikey, the best of luck with the band. And when the new record comes out, you know, when I come back on, we'll do this all over again. For sure, Mike. I would love to. And thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure, Mikey. You have a great day. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Let's get on something off the Massive Head Wound record. How about Massive Head Wound?
Keith Satan, this is Bobby Blitz. That's right where I'm Metal Mayhem. You're in the right place.
some classic overkill there, going back to the band's second record. Now, Bobby Blitz has been on the show multiple times in the past. I remember a couple of years ago, I had asked him about reuniting with the original lineup, and he didn't like, he didn't, wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> he kind of cut the interview a little quick. Uh, but it was just a question I asked him. You know, I, I'm not really, I'm never rude to any guests on the show, and I don't really pry or look for gossip with there, but I was just curious, like, you know, how we would feel about trying to reunite that classic lineup. I wasn't too happy about it. Then right after that, I think, they had trouble with the drummer. He left the band, and they, uh, they have Jason Bittner playing drums for them right now. Jason's an amazing drummer, but he's got so much going on. I mean, besides uh, Flotsam and Jetsam, oh, uh, my God, he's in so many other bands. I can't think of them all right now, but he's got a, a lot happening. So it, it always boggles my mind why a band like Overkill, who record and tour year-round, would want to get somebody with so much on his plate. You know, he's, like I said, a great drummer. I mean, Shadows Fall, I mean, they're out there, but they don't seem to be doing a lot anymore these days. Maybe it's just me because I'm not the biggest Shadowfall fan. Uh, but, you know, you have a guy like that who has to juggle a lot of different bands. Uh, you know, you would think you'd want to get somebody that's going to be dedicated just to Overkill because they are a full-time outfit. They record and they play year-round. You know, when you do something like that, you know, you leave yourself open to another drummer leaving the band, having to bring in another guy. That's just my opinion, you know. Uh, you never know, but we'll see what happens, how long he'll stay with the group. It was the same with, like, you know, Skid Row. I mean, when they had the problems with Salinger and uh, they parted ways with each other, you know, they went, right, they went right to the singer from TNT, Tony Harnell, which to me I thought was a big mistake from day one. I said this will never last more than a year, and it didn't. Uh, I think it went maybe eight months, and that was kind of over. Tony Harnell doesn't have a reputation for dedication to a band. There always seems to be an issue or a problem with band members. And I can't say it was his fault with the Skid Row thing. I don't know what really happened or what went down. But, you know, he was in Skid Row, out of Skid Row, had his own band, problems with that. You know, so when you hire somebody like that with that kind of reputation, you have to know something's not going to work out down the road. I mean, I guess you hope for the best and pray for it, but it doesn't always work out. Now they have a new singer right now, and, you know, people keep talking about the Sebastian Bach thing. Honestly, I mean, they had multiple opportunities to put it back together if they wanted to. I just I just don't see it happening. They really just don't like Bach, and a lot of people don't. I don't see it happening. I mean, people keep seeing, like, there's going to be, like, this massive, like, Guns N' Roses uh, type of payday if Skid Row get back together with Sebastian. That's just not going to happen. He's not going to rejoin the band, and all of a sudden they're going to be headlining Madison Square Garden, the Monsters of Rock Festival. It's not going to happen. They might move out of the small bars and clubs into more, you know, maybe thousand-seat places. Even that, I don't think they could pack because, let's face it, most of Skid Row's audience back in the day were 18-year-old girls, and most of them are grown women right now, and they've kind of moved on in life. So I don't really know, but we'll have to see what happens. All right, we have Joe Cangelosi. Joe, you remember back in the day, played with Creator and Whiplash. He had Brooklyn Militia going. I'm not really sure what happened with that. We'll ask him when he calls in in a little bit, but right now it's all about Uncivil War. Uh, Scott Owen, the guitar player, was a little under the weather today, so he's not going to make the interview, but we'll just talk to Joe about everything going on. And you know, anytime I get to talk to an old Brooklyn boy, you know, it's always good for my heart. But let's get some, uh, you know what, we talk about Scott. You know, Scott was at Hyrax back in the 80s, in those prime years in the early 80s to the mid-80s. Let's do something from those times. Here's Guardian Protector.
Nasty Savage, The Witcher Sabbath. I'm really starting, you know, after hearing that song, I'm starting to regret not going to the Defenders of Old Festival about two months ago in Brooklyn to see them play live. It would have been cool. I know Nasty Ronnie's like the only original guy left in the band, but he was always a key member of the group to begin with and, you know, the front man and the showman of the group. But, you know, people are like, what do you mean you don't want to travel to Brooklyn? You only live in Staten Island. And if you don't come from New York, uh, you'll never understand. Even though it's only 13 miles from where I lived in the club in Waynesburg, traveling on the Staten Island Expressway, the Varazano Bridge, the Gowanus, and the BQE on a Friday and Saturday night, because these shows start early at the, a lot of these venues in Williamsburg because it's like residential neighborhoods. So most of these shows end by 11, maybe 12 o'clock at the latest. So they start at, you know, 5, 6, sometimes 7 o'clock at night. At, you know, 7 o'clock is even kind of late for them. So to get on those highways, doing rush hour at that time, it could take over two hours to travel those 13 miles. And after doing that five days a week to go to work, the last thing I want to do when I come home is get back on there again and sit in all that traffic. And I know it sounds like really shitty, but the older I get, the less time I want to spend in a car sitting in traffic going somewhere. But I kind of do regret it because it was the last Defenders of Old. There might be some offshoots that he rang the promoter does, maybe a show or two here or there, but I don't think we're going to see these festivals anymore. He did a great job, but you know, three of them, or two of them actually were here in New York. He had two more before that, uh, I believe in Baltimore. And it wasn't any of the year before last for whatever reason. I don't remember why it didn't take place, but it's very expensive. He's a kid, a young guy, just trying to reunite all these classic bands and getting them to come to New York to play a show. And, you know, there's a lot of money that gets laid out out of his pocket. And you never really recoup that money. I don't care what anybody says. You can talk to a lot of these promoters that put on these shows or festivals. They just don't recoup their money. And most of them are fine with losing a little bit. And it even shouldn't be that way. Nobody should put on a show and lose money. But they do, and they're just happy because they're putting these festivals, all these shows on. But, you know, he brings in so many bands over the course of two days and, like, the after parties. You know, you, you can only, how much can you afford to do out of your own pocket? So right now there's no more Defenders of All Festival. Uh, but he did have a lot of great bands on this one. Just bring a Sith Uncle to New York for the first time. Bitch was on the bill. You know, I know uh, Iman's favorite band, Night Demon, played. Uh, <laughs> there were quite a few other bands that took place, but... I didn't go myself, and I kind of regret it now because here in Nasty Savage, you know, it would have been cool to see them play live. Uh, and, uh, Ronnie Galetti, uh, otherwise known as Nasty Ronnie, if you have friends with him on Facebook, he's selling a lot of uh, vintage and classic stuff, a lot of old Star Wars uh, dolls and toys and collectibles and a couple of used guitars for like 150 bucks. I'm sure he'll sign it for you if you want. So uh, go check out his Facebook page and see if it's up there. Some of these things are real you know, collectible stuff from back in the day. So uh, I don't know if people already bought them and made bids, but if not, friend Ronnie on Facebook, see what he's selling, and uh, buy different to that class of collectible stuff. All right, Joe is going to be calling in any minute. So uh, let me see. Maybe we'll jump into uh, – I don't want to play the Uncivil War song until after the interview. Uh, maybe we'll jump into Whiplash right now. We'll listen to Whiplash with Joe on drums. Uh, hopefully we get through the song before he calls it. If not – We'll uh, cut it off and we'll, uh, we'll talk to Joe, but uh, here's Burning of Atlanta.
Uh, the Burning of Atlanta, 30 years old this year, Ticket to Mayhem, but we got Joe on the line right now to talk about everything new. Joe, how are you, buddy? How you doing? Mike, what's happening, bro? How's it going, man? How's everything, hey, bro? You know, anytime I talk to somebody from my old neighborhood of Brooklyn, it's always a good Sunday night. Hey, man, we speak the same language. <laughs> exactly. That's why I love it. Yeah, you know? man. Absolutely, man. Brooklyn's oh, number one. Number that's one. That's right. <laughs> Everything but the traffic. I, we, I just talked in the chat room. You know, there was a show. You know, because now in Brooklyn, you know, everything is like Greenpoint to Williamsburg. It wasn't like that back in the in the eighties. Yeah. You know, but I like you know, I'm like it's thirteen miles from my house. It'll take me three hours to get there. Yeah, you know, well, this is the, the, the unfortunately, man. Which I know you can relate to me with this one. Brooklyn is like the most trendiest place on the earth right now. Everybody wants to come and live here. It's like you know, I mean, it's good and it's bad. It's good because, you know, Brooklyn's great. Of course, everybody wants to live here. And number two, it's bad because the real Brooklynites, you know, we're seeing all these kind of different kinds of people come along through town, man, thinking they own the place. That kind of pisses me off, but, you know, it's a I great know. place regardless. And we welcome yeah. everybody, but just have some freaking respect around here. Yeah, people don't people from Brooklyn, especially the old school Brooklyn people, they're very protective of the neighborhood and of the area. That's and of what the whole it is, man. In general. Yeah. Absolutely, man. It's just that's yeah. what you know. It started off small, man. You know, it did, and now it's getting so. Uh, it's just expanding at such a rate now. It's incredible, man. I, I, I tell you, you people, you can't even afford to live there no more. You, you couldn't give houses away forty years ago. Now you can't afford to even rent over there. It's so expensive. Oh man, rent is brutal, man. I'm scraping bottom over here. <laughs> yeah, it's rough, yeah. dude. It's fucking rough, man. It is, yeah, man. But you know. I ain't leaving. I refuse. I hear that. I hear that. Hey, well, Joe, you know, I know today it's all about Uncivil War. Brand new band. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you, what, what happened to Brooklyn Militia? Is it still going? Oh, my God. Well, Brooklyn Militia as yeah, okay. All right. Brooklyn Militia is actually on the back burner, man. Brooklyn Militia is always a band that I can go to. But at, at this moment in time, and, you know, right before I joined Eliminate, we were kind of like at the fence about what we wanted to do with it, you know? Yeah. Um. Because, you know, basically we had some things going on with the band members and, the, you know. So we figured, you know, I got the call from Scott, uh, what was that, 2015, um, around November or so. No, uh, October, September. And, um, you know, that was for the Eliminate gig. So I did that for a while, you know. I said, screw it, man, I'll go out there. You know, we did the Dark Angel stuff and we did a couple of uh, original songs. And um, we played that Grindcore Fest in 2015. Yeah. And um, last summer, we got back together, and we were gung-ho. I wanted to write new material. You know, the band itself had a lot of potential. Um, Unfortunately, the band doesn't move. Like, you know, certain things in the band were not moving fast enough for me and Scott, and other things, too. So we said, you know what? Last uh, summer, we played a bunch of shows. It went well. And I said, you know, Scott, man, maybe we should think about doing something together. And that's how uh, Civil War was born. Yeah. Yes. As for uh, Brooklyn Militia, yeah, you know, it's a, you know we're all from Brooklyn, so <laughs> you never know what's gonna happen here. Yeah. That's true. It's always you know well, those are my good friends, and in fact, Richie's in Richard Day's and uh, on Civil, Civil War, War with me again. Yeah, brought him back well, in, man. I have to have my main guy playing with me, man. He's the best. I mean, and you and Rich go back a long way in a long time. I mean, you guys have been in multiple bands together over the years. Yeah, definitely, man. And it was great that he was in Whiplash with me for that last stint we did. That was great. I think that was actually the last 
uh, hurrah for the band. I mean, I don't want to yeah. speak for them, but you know, it's it's pretty bad that these days. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is over there. So, but you've moved on to other things, and I know with Absolutely. the eliminate things, you know. Uh, I thought that was really going to turn to something pretty special, something pretty good. Uh, but I, I guess it probably got frustrating that Don just really wanted to focus more on the Dark Angel stuff. I guess it was a little bit of pill from Absolutely. You that's exactly. Adam, you know? Yeah. That's one of the main reasons for me because, you know, of course I want to be in a, you know, the potential that we had pretty good talent in that band to do some great original stuff. And when I joined the band, I was, that's what I thought it was going to be, but it wind up, you know, being like that we're going to start concentrating more on Dark Angel stuff first, and the new stuff wasn't coming quick enough, man, and it seemed like, I think that's what Don wants to do, you know? I mean, I don't want to, yeah. I never wanted to be a part of any kind of tribute band, period. <laughs> it's it's pretty much like a tribute band situation if you're not doing your own stuff, you know? Exactly. You know, I guess to him, he felt it wasn't a tribute band because technically it was his music, but for everybody else in the band... You know, yeah. there was a lot of there was a lot of buzz happening around that. I said, you know, I can't wait to hear the original music. This is gonna kick ass. It just didn't materialize. Oh man, I know, man. It would have been great too. We, I, some of the songs that they started was pretty cool. But the thing is, is that if you don't communicate in any facet of life, man, you know that, you know, you ain't getting results, man. So, you know, a lot of communication problems. You know, coupled with the fact that we were all from different places, all different states. You know, but if you want to get something done, you do it. And you get it done, you know? True, true. That's simple. How, how much more difficult is it? I mean, I know as far as, like, rehearsing and playing live, when members are from different states or out of state or different places, that makes it a little bit more challenging. Recording-wise, you can't make it work because, you know, you can, with computer study, you swap files, MP3, but there's a kind of miss something when you're not in the same room together, you know, like, hash things out, you know, one-on-one. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, for me, I'd rather play in a room live and record that, you know? With all the mistakes and everything else, whatever this, you know what I'm saying? But I'd rather capture that original energy because it really is hard to uh, to make it happen, you know. But you have to really be enthusiastic about the music and you got to, you know, you got to know what you want to be playing on that stuff. Like this Uncivil War song that we put out, uh, you know, that was done remotely. Like Rich never uh, was in the same room as me or Scott. You know, we were never together in, at any point. But... You know, regardless, I think it came out pretty good considering that, you know, this is just a demo for us too. We know yeah. we don't have any we don't have any um management yet or anything else. But we're getting some interest here and there and you know, like always I'm just putting out trying to put out music that people want to hear, man. Including myself. You did a great you did a great job on that song. I can't wait to hear more music. Uh, is it easy for a drummer when you do request separately like that? Because you're basically the backbone of the band to begin with, and everybody kind of works around you. So is it easy for you to lay it down, and you kind of need the guys in the studio with you to kind of get the feel for it? Well, I mean, you know, I had to do what I had to do. I mean, I, like I said, I'd rather be in a studio with the guys and feeding off the energy and stuff. But for this stuff, I had to, you know, we have three songs already. Um, two of them are almost done. And we got that on Civil War Star. Oh, we're also going to be on a compilation that I want to let you know about. Um, King McMurtry from uh, MOD. Yep. Um, yeah, he's got a label called Trip Hop Records, and he's putting out a metal compilation in early 2018. It's called Metal on Metal Volume One, and we're gonna be on there with uh, a couple of other bands like Attacker. Yeah. And uh, oh, Bobby Gustafson's band, Sid's band, you know, uh, Hail Mary. Uh, say, yeah, Hail Mary. Be on there. That should be cool. 
you know, that'll be good for us. We'll get, you know, it's not like it's just one song. And, you know, whatever. He approached us, he said, and we said, that's great. Why not? Because, you know, we yeah. haven't done anything yet so far, so might as well grab it, you know. It's good publicity for both of us. Absolutely. I mean, is it that difficult? I mean, because, you know, you've got a name in the business. I mean, people know you from, well, it was a Whiplash creator. I mean, I go back to Death Corps, and I'm waiting for that reunion to take place. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yo, I want to do that, too, man. <laughs> I oh, definitely man. still, still want to make that happen. And I think I'm, one of these days, I'm gone, man, I swear. <laughs> that will be a lot of fun. Oh, that's so but Yeah, it doesn't demo. matter, really. That was a fun time, man. But the thing is, is that, you know, it's all well and good. I was in all these other bands, man, and, like, but, you know, you're only as good as the last thing you do, really. It's all cliche sounding, but it's true. You know, you know, I'm so glad people, like, I all the time I get people that love this, you know, bringing back to the old days and thanks for, you know, ticket of man, blah, blah, this, that. And I love it. It's great. And I will reach out and talk to every each and every one of them about it, you know. But I want to do yeah. new shit, you know, and I want to play now. Yeah. Uh, I and, don't blame. Uh, yeah, I think this band has good capabilities, man. Really does, do. But Joe, does it help that people do know you and all the other members of the band from other well-known bands in the past? Does it help the band move along, or does um, it really I, just feel yeah, like you're I starting guess it over does in the long run? Yeah, I guess it does in the long run. But it's you know the state of the music business right now is rough. So yeah, you know you got to do it because you love it first and foremost. You know. Have you seen it getting because any better? I mean, I mean, we know that there's no money no more, like involved, I mean, whether it's live or recording. That the money part just seems to be gone altogether. But does the support for like the fans or the people interested in the music is that gotten any better than it was maybe ten years ago? I think it has. I think um, you know they've got a lot of these festivals going on in Europe. You know, I played a bunch of them in the past and stuff, and I see they're getting more and more festivals. You know, as for European festival situation, that's happening really cool. Um. I think that um, metal in general is, you know, it's gotten more mainstream, of course, you know, from the days that we were listening to it. Um, yeah. But I think that it's more acceptable now than ever, you know. And I do think that more younger kids are getting into metal. Absolutely. Like like, that's you know, a great thing. 80s, yeah, man. And we got, you know, that's like, that's the the best thing we got going because we got to keep this stuff going on, man, you know. And that's what we're trying to do in, on Civil War, is we're trying to play this music that we grew up playing, you know, without all the, you know, no influences of modern times, you know, just straight out, you know, it doesn't have to be rocket science, man, but it's just got to have heart, you got to feel it, you know. Yeah, well, it definitely has balls, the song that you put out, I'll give you that, and to me, that has like a little mix of everything in it to me that you've done from like cerebral hemorrhage and death corpse to whiplash. It's got like, you know, the cool. thrash, the crossover, a little bit of the hardcore. I mean, it's got everything in there. It's a very raw song. I mean, great, it, we've man. got a conscious I mean, thing is, Great. Thank you, man. Well, the thing is, is we're just trying to do what we, you know, started doing from day one, you know? I mean, I think a lot of the bands that were doing this music for so long, they kind of get lost, you know? I guess it's the scene. I guess it's the way, you know, what you got to do to stay, you know, current. But I want to play music that, you know, makes me feel like, you know, I did when I was 15, 16 years old. Yeah. You know, I want to keep that alive. The rawness, you know, you know, the originality, the creativity. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely there. So we got yeah. a bunch more songs, man, and hopefully somebody bites, man, and gives us a chance to do something. But, you know, we're still plugging. 
Is that what you're gonna wait for? You're gonna look to to get a record deal, a guest sign, or you're just gonna move ahead? You know, with doing it on your own if you have to, or you you're gonna well, wait. And we're see doing that on our own. Yeah, we're doing that on our own as we we speak. But you know, we're gonna definitely start giving it. You know, showing it to people, shopping around a little bit, and see what if there's anything going on. You know, any interest. But in the end, if nobody bites, man. We'll put it out ourselves. We don't care. Yeah. Yeah. What about the life fund, Joey? Are you going to be able to do anything there? I mean, are you looking to maybe put this is, this is definitely something together? that needs to be done. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that um, eventually, once we get all uh, these songs recorded, we're going to get, absolutely try to get some shows going on. Um, we might throw in some, uh, some stuff from our past until we have enough material, which could be pretty interesting. I mean, we could throw some whiplash in there, some high racks. Even a creator song or two, why not? That would be but great. that would no. be just yeah, it would be fun. I think it would be interesting. Well, Absolutely, not, for, not forever, you know. Well, hey, look, I, did you ever think about re-releasing some of the older stuff that people haven't been able to get to, like the old demo tapes from Cerebral Hemorrhage or Death Corps, or getting them out there again? You know, that's funny you said it because actually I was talking to Tony Scaglione recently about that because uh, I don't know if you know he was on the first one, Cerebral Hemorrhage. Yeah, and I was on the second one because you know when I joined the band, I I got both, kind of got both slots. But we, yeah, we wanted to get both of those demos out, man, and we're gonna tr- still try to do that, man. Um, somehow, you know, somebody approached us, but it wasn't the right circumstance. But we're gonna try to do that. That would be really cool. Yeah, I mean, I I still have my copies from back in the mid '80s to the late '80s, but you know, our cassette was starting to wear out. And back then, nobody ever really had the money to record anything properly, so it'd be kind of yeah, nice if they could be remastered. You know, I mean, sometimes they want four well, the tracks, crazy, eight tracks. The crazy part is that I'm looking at the reel to reel right now. I got the two inch reel to reel of that session, and I got the uh, mix down of that session on reel to reel. I don't even know if that stuff is like still uh, okay, you know. But, uh, 30, 30 something years, those reels might it. be dust. <laughs> they might be turning to dust those reels by now. God only knows, man. <laughs> you know, you may put it on the player and it may just shred. <laughs> yeah. Hell knows, yeah. man. Uh, it would be fun to get like, that stuff out. I, I, that would Sorry. be fantastic if you could make that happen. So, how do you feel about recording today compared to back then? Did you prefer it back then on the reel to reel or digital the way things are today? Well, it was, you know, back then you had to really pretty much nail your parts, man, completely. You know, it's a lot easier today in the fact that you can, you know, punch in anywhere you want and, like, fix things easily. You know, there was a lot riding on um, lot riding on it when you were uh, – there's no editing involved pretty much, you know. Uh, I remember recording – in particular, I remember recording a song called Essence of Evil from uh, Insult to Injury. And that was a pretty difficult song to play, you know. It was long, lots and lots of double bass stuff, really intricate stuff going on. And I was really didn't want to play that more than once, <laughs> if I could help it, you know. Yeah. And I remember getting through it, man. And it was, you know, I'm getting to the end of it, and my freaking headphones are falling off, man. And I'm like, oh Jesus, please let me make it through <laughs> this fucking tune. I don't want to do this again. This is, you know, it was just the perfect take. And uh, I managed to squeeze it out, man. And that's the take that's on that record, man. And, I'll never forget that because at the very end of that take, my headphones fell off my head. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the pressure was, you know, the, it, the tape is rolling, you know. 
Sure, especially back then, you know, it costs a lot of money. Today, like you said, you click a button, you restart a second later, and you're back on track, very little expense out of pocket. But back then... Yeah, and a lot of people have home studios, too, you know? Yeah, yeah. We used to, you know, you didn't have to go and rent out these gigantic, you know, studios for thousands and thousands of dollars anymore, you know? Yeah. You, you were just talking about the song uh, that you, had, you were praying that you would get through it. I mean, when you have to record something like that, is that challenging in the studio? What happens when you go to play it live? I mean, do those songs just get eliminated from the live set? It depends. I mean, if they're really impossible to play, you should, really shouldn't be recording them. True. But um, live, you got to pick and choose, like, what's best for you, I guess. At the, you know, but usually, you know, live is a you know, little looser situation. And there's not as much pressure, I don't believe. It's because you're in the moment, you know? Yeah. I mean, it should be something that you physically cannot play live. You know what I mean? Like, that's where technology, you know, and stuff in the studio, and then, you know, transferring over, that's where it could be a disaster. Yeah, a, a lot of bands are in that position, today, especially a lot of these symphonic bands. They create stuff in the studio that could just never, ever be cre- you know, recreated live by the band members that play. I mean... I mean, how much how much technology do you think a band should be able to use live without taking away from the actual live performance, you know? Yep. Well, the thing is, is that, like I said, man, if you can't play it live, don't play it, man. Don't even do it, you know, because then it's kind of disappointing. If you, if you don't hear that song live every time you see the band, or if you hear that song live when you, the band plays it, and it's a train wreck. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. Joe, we were talking about yeah. some of the bands you were in before, like Cerebral Hemorrhage, Death Corps. I mean, you had Eliminate, Creator back in the day, a little bit with Massacre, Moondog, The Burn Victims, Whiplash. Jesus. Was there any one of those <laughs> bands that you joined at one point or another that said, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world, this is like a dream come true, and then it turned into an absolute nightmare from day one? Um, no, not really, because, I mean, some of that stuff happened gradually through the years. <laughs> yeah, but, I um, imagine. <laughs> but, uh, I swear it wasn't my fault. <laughs> no, but, uh, no, not really, man. You always go in with the best intentions, man, just like a good relationship, man. And <laughs> hopefully you don't get a divorce or whatever. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times, most of the bands I've been with, if you see, it's the, you know, I stay with the core, core guys, man, especially with Rich Day, because he's really my, you know, we started together. Even though I played in Whiplash at the time, you know, he was in Primal Scream. We were always in the same vicinity if not yeah. playing in the same band. But, you know, that's that's the most important thing in the world is to get along with people that you're in the band with and the communication that it takes. Like, what we did with this Uncivil War band is pretty great considering the fact that Eliminate has been talking about new music for years and they still haven't came to the plate with anything. And I guess me and Scott started to seriously, you know, think about doing this uh a civil war thing maybe we started in december so we already have three songs you know and yeah. a lot more that we have to record so it just goes to show you that you know common minds and common goals go, you know you can push it and you can go far man you can get a lot done if you really want to get it done I couldn't agree more. I mean, Joe, you've been in a lot of bands that you formed and, and, you know, started from the very beginning and you've played with. And, you know, there's always that originality part of it where you're the main guy that's starting it and laying down, you know, the beat for the band. Then you get a band right. like, you know, Whiplash, where you came, came into it in the second record and there was a drummer before you, creating right. where there were other drummers for you. Is it more challenging when you step into a band 
that already has an established sound and you either have to recreate with the drummer before you did on those songs but yet be original to the new stuff coming up and make them melt together? Absolutely, man. And you just said it all right there. Yeah, when I joined Whiplash, man, I mean, I was a fan of the band. So I'm not going to go into the band trying to play all my shit and, like, over try to overshadow anybody's, you know. I had to respect everything that was done before me. So I really tipped the cap to, you know, to always strike you and destroy that. But the first record was great. And, you know, I had to model my playing for Whiplash after that because that was the only example I had, you know. And yeah. it was a great example. So. I try to play, you know, to compliment the band by playing stuff that needed to be played, that he played, and, you know, put my own originality into it. And eventually, you know, I got to do that completely with the next record and so on, you know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, but it's like creating a torch for something. Yeah. Said they were creative, but fun, they were drummers before you, so you kind of had more of a feel there, I guess. Yeah, well, creator, I broke the, I broke the mold there. Um, Vento was the, you know, the only drummer of the band until that time. Yeah. And, um, of course, just like I did with Scaglione, I had to figure out what is this guy playing, man? (laughs) You know what I mean? And you got to remember also people's styles are so different that sometimes like you try to figure somebody out and they're like, you would never, ever play something they would play. So it's kind of like looking inside the person's mind. It's really interesting. But, yeah, I had to learn a lot of that stuff. You know, I had to play a lot. Most of that stuff was, you know, all from the, you know, earlier records. But, yeah, yeah I had a good time. Yeah. yeah. And then, was, you know, when, when I did Cause for Conflict, I was, you know, I came up with my own parts, of course, you know, and helped write some of that music, too. So, yeah. It was cool. Was, was Creator a difficult situation to step into, like you said, because I had the same drummer for, for a decade before you got in there. It was also the mid-90s, a really tough time for, for metal in general. Maybe not so much for the European bands, but it was tough here in the U.S. And oh, it was rough, man. It was rough everywhere. Um, yeah. I joined the band. I joined Creator at probably one of its lowest points. Um, unfortunately, and I think that record was brutal. Uh, it was full of hell and, and energy and stuff, you know. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't really that hard to, to get into that situation. I just had to, you know professional and investigate exactly what happened before me um i wasn't the biggest creator fan you know from the get-go yeah <laughs> which is fu- which is kind of funny but um yeah man i really um i had a blast playing all those songs and you know i had a great time with those guys yeah well, was it difficult being with the band from another country because you gotta remember these were the times pre-internet before you can swap songs live somewhere else you kind of had True. to be with the band at that point in time to be a part of the band yeah, the crazy part is was I was already out there in Germany. so And I was on my way back to the United States. And long short, uh, story short, man, I had my two weeks notice for this job that I had. I was even playing music at the time. And I was working at, at this restaurant. I was like a chef in a restaurant. And I put my two weeks notice in. And the last day of my job, I got a phone call from Frank asking uh, would I join the band. So yeah. It was really incredibly weird circumstances. Yeah, it was, um, I've been to Europe a couple times before that, so it wasn't completely foreign to me, and I knew people there too, but of course, yeah, coming from Brooklyn, living in a small, you know, much smaller place, it, it's kind of, it's a, it's a shock, man. It was actually more of a shock coming back home than it was really? living there. Wow. Yes. Yes. Um, 
Will you actually get out of this place for a number of years, especially being a native here? You don't realize, you know, you always hear about the energy of New York and this and that. I never realized it until I went away and came back and I felt the presence of like, wow, this place is, the energy of this place is, is unmatchable. Really incredible. Yeah. Did you feel like a stranger in a strange land? <laughs> my old For a little while, man. For a little while until I got my feet back on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't easy. Oh, I can imagine. Hey, well, Joe, I'm gonna have. To, I want to play. I want to play the song, and I'm gonna have to let you go after this. But where's the awesome. best place for people to keep up with the band? You know, because I know you got new music. You're gonna start. It's gonna start coming out. Yeah, real man. Soon. I appreciate and I appreciate every time I'm on your show. And I thanks so much, man. I really appreciate the. Uh, I love you having know, you on here, Joe. You do know this that. for us. Yeah, we're trying, man. You know, we're trying still. So <laughs> I ain't giving up ever, man. I'm gonna keep playing music, and I really think this band is gonna do something. So um, I think you so, can look so. out for us on um, the Facebook site for now, and we're going to be having our own website soon. But, you know, for now, all our news is pretty much on the Facebook site. Excellent. And, I, Joe, I'm going to get on Civil War right now. You did a great job on this too, man. I can't wait to hit a rest. Thanks, bro. I really appreciate it, man. Anytime. Keep Brooklyn alive. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right, man. Be good, bro. Take care, Joe. All right, Joe Cangelosi from Uncivil War. They did a great job on this tune, and there's going to be a lot more coming. It's a title track. Here you go. I'm not 
Man, out of Ohio, destructive. That band keeps getting better and better with every release they put out. Decibel Casualties on Pure Steel Records. What a great job, man. Dave Overkill had a real busy 12 months. Besides that, uh, maybe seven or eight months before that, they, they released the album Back in Bondage, which was actually an album that was recorded, I believe, back in the late 90s, but never saw the light of day. So I'm not sure if they just remastered the old tracks or put it out if they re-recorded it, but another solid record of, you know, technically new material because a lot of people really didn't uh, hear the album when it did come out. I mean, it never did come out, but it, there was demos at the time of it, but people don't didn't have it, never heard it. So two great records in the last 12 months from Destructor. And then Dave has his other band, Vulgar Devils, which also released their debut record on Pure Steel in between. And they're more in the, the very hard rock, you know, light heavy metal vein. And that's a tremendous album. He did such a great job on that. And it's completely different than what you would expect from Destructive, but still pure hard rock in, in any way, shape, or form. So pick up all three of those records if you haven't. They're absolutely rock solid. All right, let's jump into some Quiet Right right now. We'll get to Frankie Benale right after this. We're going to go back to the Condition Critical record. Everybody expects us to play something off of Metal Health, but, you know, we've played that stuff to death over the years, so... Let's jump to the second record here. Scream and shout, and we'll talk to Frankie right after that.
Mike, it's Mike. How are you? Hey, Mike. How you doing? My last one went over, so I apologize for being a little bit uh, behind schedule here. Uh, I'm two hours late, so thank you. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no uh, problem. No worries. Sounds good. All right, man. Hey, it's great talking with you again. It's been a while, and a lot has gone on over the last couple of years. I mean, did you see the band getting to the point that it is today when you put it back together about seven years ago? You know, I had no idea um, uh, how it was going to go. I knew it was going to be very difficult. I knew uh, I was going to be uh, highly criticized, and I knew that it was the right thing for me to do at the time, so I went ahead and did it. Yeah. Well, you, you talk about criticized. I mean, you're not the only artist. I mean, it seems like the world was much more vicious today than it ever was, and with the Internet and, you know, uh, rock and metal websites, people are just vicious. I, I started just saying – you know, I'm not really into the new record. I don't care for the new singer. They just tear people apart. And you've been a, a part of that. You've seen that. You know, you've seen it firsthand. Yeah, but I tell you I tell you why it doesn't bother me. I, I lose absolutely no sleep over it, and it doesn't get under my skin because I'm used to it. With, with Quiet Riot, people, you know, people criticize um, Quiet Riot for, for doing uh, a couple of Slade songs, like we're the only band that ever covered, you know, did a cover song. Um, they criticized, they criticized the band uh, saying that, um, that you know, well, well, we don't have the original vocalist. Um, Iron Maiden didn't have the original vocalist. I mean, it goes all the way down the line. So when yeah. you look at it from that perspective, when you say to yourself, are they criticizing because their criticism is valid or are they criticizing purely because they don't like you and or the band? Uh, and once you put that into perspective, it's, you know, water off a duck's back. I don't care. I don't care. I know I know how the fans support the band, and those are the people I care about. Those are the people that, that say that they're fans and then rip the band apart. They're not real fans, and I can tell you, by and large, that a lot of the people that are saying, you know, no Kevin Dubrow, no Quiet Riot, when Kevin Dubrow was alive, they were they were basically uh, ripping Kevin Kevin apart. So why should I listen to them? I don't. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And when you think about, it, I mean, the band has over a 40 year history. Over those 40 years, there have been times when Kevin was out of the band live, when you were out of the band, other members were out of the band. It's it's like that for any band with that length of time of being together. Very few bands have that original lineup or that one Keith. I mean, you know, Kevin was, he was beyond the singer. He was a front man. And that was 
hard to find in the business. I mean, he was a combination of both. So I get people like saying that, but he, he there was times that he wasn't in the band during the heyday, and the band still went on. Well, you know, listen, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm the only member um, of Choir Riot that has uh, performed on every single Choir Riot record from Metal Health when we recorded in 1982 all the way through Road Rage in 2017. Uh, so I've been here for all of it. Uh, nobody else can claim that, and uh, and the critics uh, can't claim uh, uh, any ownership uh, in that regard. True. Frankie, how did it come about with hooking up with James? I mean, you know, uh, the documentary kind of goes through everything that the band, you know, has faced over. It's, I mean, as much as you could put into two hours with a 40-year history. But how'd you hook up with James? How'd you wind up settle on him, you know, at the end? Yeah, uh, it it happened um, that James was available right at the right time that we needed um, somebody to come in and uh, write new lyrics and new melodies to to the songs that uh, myself, uh, Alex Rossi, Chuck Wright, and Neil Citron had written, uh, and he was just available at the right time. I had seen him. Uh, I didn't follow the American Idol uh, TV show, but I did see him because somebody had told me that there was this, uh, as they put it, this great kid, this great rock kid on the show, and I watched him, and I thought he was incredibly talented, uh, and then went about my business, because this was a number of years ago. Um, my reasoning for, for choosing James to get involved with the band is that, as you said, you know, there's only one Kevin Dubrow, and, and I've never tried to replace him. Uh, I never could. He was uh, an unbelievable vocalist with an unbelievable range and an incredible amount of charisma and stage presence. Um, and I just needed somebody that had the vocal range to be able to handle the the live choir ride material that we continue to, to play from our past records. Um, but I also needed somebody to come in and uh, and bring something of themselves into the music. I didn't want uh, another karaoke um, type singer in the band. I wanted somebody that was uh, was original, but that could be part of the choir riot sound and could add to the choir riot sound. And uh, uh, Alex Rossi, my guitarist, already knew James, so that was uh, that was the gateway for me to get the contact information for James. All right. Well, you know, when, when you just start putting it back together and you were looking for singers and you had Mark coming to the band of Scott, they had a very similar vocal sounds to Kevin, and it kind of fit well with, like, you know, the way he sang back then. Did you kind of learn from those two, like you said just now, with, you know, we're going with, uh, with James because he has more of his own style and you don't want to just kind of find that I could just do what Kevin did? Well, the other component is that you you have to you have to get along with people. Um, you know, they have to want to be involved with Choir Ride for the right reasons, uh, and it's got to work at a, at a musical level, obviously. But it has to work as a, as a uh, on a personal level because you spend far more time together traveling and and doing things that have nothing to do with with recording or performing live than you do you know doing your doing your um, um your job in choir riot so you have to get along with people and uh, and james is funny he's really easy to get along with and you know i i i would hope that he's here for the long haul and uh and i'm happy to have him as long as he chooses to uh to be involved with choir riot yeah uh, Frankie, was it really important to go back and re-record the record with him singing on it, knowing that Sean wasn't going to be part of the group anymore? Was that like really important for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and it was uh, and it was purely a business decision. Uh, there was no point. There was no point releasing the record as it was 
uh, and especially I felt that it could be improved upon, but there was no point releasing as it was because now we have James involved in the band. So it made the most sense uh, to go in and re-record all the vocals and vocal melody lines with completely, totally new uh, lyrics and melodies. It had nothing to do with what had, that had come previously because nev- uh, James never heard those versions. I made sure that uh, he only heard the music. Um, and it made perfect sense because he was going to have to sing this material uh, live. And, um, you know, it, it was the best thing to do. Uh, I never would have promoted the label, uh, the record um and I let the label know that uh, as it was, and uh, and they agreed with me that it was the right uh, choice to make. Yeah, did, did the songs take on a different life, or completely have different meaning after you know James came in and changed them around, or were they kind of similar to what was already recorded? No, it, it really uh, the music obviously is the same, but once you put brand new lyrics and uh, and melodies onto the top. Um, it changes it changes any song dramatically, and in this instance, it elevated the songs to to the level that the music that was already written uh, really deserved. Yeah, I mean, technically, when you think about it, this is kind of like the first full release of an album since Rehab about ten years ago. It did have the record ten, but you caught up the wall, so not a lot of people got to hear it if they didn't get it right away. And this record musically, I mean, it, it's sort of in the vibe of where that last record was. I mean, it moved on to a little different direction, but it, it's, it's sort of similar sound-wise. And people are like, this doesn't sound like quite right, but I don't know what they expected after, like, you know, so many years of different people and, and line of changes. But it, it is kind of still to the last record sound-wise. It, it's moving in that direction. Well, uh, firstly, you are correct. This is the first. Uh, this is the first official Quiet Ride release since the 2006 um, rehab record with Kevin. So this is the first official release in 11 years. We also did a video for the song "Can't Get Enough," which is the first music video we've done um, in uh, 29 years, almost three decades. Because the last one we did was uh, for. Um, for the fourth Quiet Ride record on Sony. Uh, so, you know, those are, those are a lot of little historic uh, signposts. Um, you know, listen, when Quiet Ride, you know, we had the great success that we did with Metal Health, and then we released Condition Critical, which, by the way, the critics said was a failure because it only sold 2 million copies, and, and I can accept <laughs> that kind of failure any day. Uh, but when we, did the, when we did the track Condition Critical, everybody says that this, this doesn't sound like Quiet Riot. And when we released the QR3, uh, QR3 record and we released The Wild and the Young, people said, this doesn't sound like Quiet Riot. So that, to me, that is, that is great because the thing about Quiet Riot is we always try to stay true to our style, true to our sound, but always move forward uh, to whatever degree uh, we could uh, with each record. So that's no different. You know, people saying this doesn't sound like Quiet Riot, fine, doesn't bother me. It is Quiet Riot. Yeah, well, I mean, if they, like you said, if they are fans of the band, have followed you guys from day one, they do realize that, you know, every couple of years, the band sound does change a little bit. There's always, to me, been a little bit of that bluesy influence in everything that you guys have done, especially some of the later records. And this just has taken the band in another direction, in my opinion. A- a- except for what I have to say, you know, I-, I love the drum on Still Wild. It's got that little bit of John Bottom groove in it, man. It's in fact, the Condition Critical song. Yeah, well, you know that that was uh, still wild is my uh, my tribute to uh, to one of the greatest influences that I have in rock, uh, uh, John Bonham, and of course Led Zeppelin. So yeah, happy happy to go in that direction. You know, if anybody makes that comparison, um, then I'll take it. <laughs> 
there if I, the documentary came out a couple of years ago, and like I was saying earlier, you know, trying to compress a lot of decades of the band into two hours, it, it's definitely not an easy thing. Uh, when you sat back and looked at it, like, you know, as you were moving along with it, was there anything you said, you, like, did you kind of like look at yourself and say, wow, I can't believe I, I acted this way, or I was this way? It's, it's what's and all, in my opinion. You know, there's the fun Frankie, the frustrated Frankie. It is everything in this documentary. All your emotions wrapped up into a two-hour movie. Yeah, when when uh, director Regina Russell approached me to do the film, um, I I you know let her make the film. I I always tell people she made the movie. I lived it, and I did not look at any of the uh, footage um, after about maybe the first thirty days uh, until I saw the final cut <clears throat> because it. I wanted to make sure that it was real and it was honest. And and when I watch it, you know. Uh, it's it's kind of weird for me to watch a huge chunk of both my professional life with Quiet Ride and my personal life pass in front of me. Um, so that that in and of itself, uh, it's really an interesting thing. It was therapeutic to some degree, um, and there's a lot of things that make me laugh, a lot of things that make me sad, and a lot of things that make me uncomfortable. Uh, and that's what makes a real story. All of those components. It can't just be some whitewash behind the music, everything is great and everything is fine and, and you know, peace and love, because uh, that's, you know, that's what you want, but that's not realistic. True. I mean, when the cameras are on you like that 24-7, are you more aware or more conscious that you are being filmed so you watch what you say or are careful of what you say, or do you really just kind of forget that they're there because you've basically been in front of them your whole life? Well, obviously, you can see by the film that I that I wasn't that I wasn't like guarding my words in any in any way, shape, or form. Um, no, uh, the the deal that I made with uh, with uh, or the agreement that I made with Regina and her crew was that they could film anything that they wanted to, uh, but they had to stay out of my way. I mean, if we were doing a live show where I was going somewhere, I had to do something. If they got in my way, I was going to push them out of my way. I, at that point in time, you know, when when they started filming the real time stuff, that was when I first put the band back together. So I was ridiculously busy and and preoccupied with bailing the water out of the SS Choir Riot, you know, from all the uh, discontention that uh, that I had said that I wasn't going to do Choir Riot again, and here I am three years later doing it. So I was too busy to pay attention to the cameras, you know. I mean, I knew I knew they were there, but I'm not the kind of person that that sugarcoats anything. Yeah. Well, you know, you did say in an interview a while back, you, know, you learned to never say never again, especially in this business. And I mean, I think it's, I, it kind of bothers you that, like when you said Quiet Riot isn't going to get back together again, you know, you were mourning Kevin died, the band came to an end, you know, everything you put your whole life into was gone. Do people really expect you to be speaking properly at that point in time and not like, you know, a year later say, you know what, I'm ready to move on now. You're talking from the moment. It seems like people don't get that. Listen, you know, if, if somebody doesn't like you or if somebody doesn't like uh, Quiet Riot, <clears throat> somebody doesn't like me personally, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to dissect every single thing that I said. Then they're going to go to Home Depot, get some wood, hammer and some nails, and then crucify me every opportunity that they can. That's what they do. That's what they've always done. That's what they did to Kevin. That's what they did to Quiet Riot from, from the point uh, – when we were hurt, when we released the first record, you know, nobody thought it was going to make it. You know, a lot of people didn't think it was any good. And then it gets to number one, and you know, the crucifixion started. Um, I'm used to it. I'm almost 40 years down the line. Do you think that 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 type of um, 
um, inaccurate criticism bothers me, not by any stretch of the imagination. I have heard it all, and, and I've seen everything that's been said about both Quiet Right and myself. I don't care what they say. I don't. Well, obviously, they're not fans of people that are saying it. They're just rebel rousers and the troublemakers. But it is a shame when you think about it. You know, you work so hard. You put out a record that goes number one. All the people that were behind you and support you all of a sudden want to tear you down. And it's not just quite right. It's just it's a cultural thing, I think. They're there for you one day, and they turn their back on you the next. Yeah, listen, as long as you're aware that that's what it is, and, and as long as you always take into account um, the source of the criticism, if the source of the criticism isn't, uh, isn't valid, then the criticism is also not valid. So I don't care. I don't. Yeah. Knock yourself I mean, like, out, you know, I, you know. I mean, everybody, everybody that can sit behind a computer these days uh, has, has an opinion that reaches worldwide. Have at it. I don't care. Yeah. But you know, you're not above poking fun of, you know, of yourself and in the, in the band. I mean, I love in the documentary when you had the little thing with the people that came in and out of the band. I mean, it, it's it's comical to a point, and you have to laugh, you know, of the absurdity of it. But you made you made light of it in there. I thought that was a great part of that movie, a great little scene. Well, what it shows is, you know, a lot of people have um, have this idea that the only choir ride that should exist is the so-called classic version of Choir Riot, um, which was the, the members that recorded the Mental Health Record and the Condition Critical Record. Um, I think that portion of the movie um, was able to show people how many different members have come and gone um, in Choir Riot. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective and when you look at the fact that the, the Mental Health lineup only did initially the two records and then you know, everybody, um, you know, a few people went different ways and there were different lineups that didn't reunite again until the late 90s. And when we did reunite with a classic metal lineup, the one that now everybody says is the only legitimate lineup, uh, nobody cared. And everybody, everybody was saying has-beens and uh, you're trying to relive, you know, your success of the metal health record. So, you know, how, how much attention can I pay to that stuff? There's a lot of great musicians that have come and gone in Quiet Riot, and I'm blessed to have worked with all of them. Yeah. Well, seven years in now, are you happy? Are things finally like at the place you want them to be? Are you content with what's going on with the band, the music, getting out there and playing live? Is everything going good now? Yeah, at this moment in time, everything is great. The Road Rage record came out um, on August 4th. We released the first video in uh, in almost uh, 30 years, and uh, and we're on the road touring. We've got dates on the calendar right now into April of 2018, um, and at the moment, uh, everything is great. And I'm also well aware that at any moment, anything can change. So <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the moment, and uh, and I'm looking uh, I'm looking forward to the future. Yeah, I find it has a lot. I mean, musically, not not just music, but business-wise, a lot has changed over the years. I mean, from the downloading into you know the collapse of a lot of record labels. Uh, but for an established artist, is it still fun? Is it still is like going out on tour for two or three months even like viable today? Or is it better off doing the one-offs? We fly out here and there to do shows. I mean, is that the way it's turning out to be for most fans today? Well, for most bands, I think because there are fewer and fewer package tours. Um, for instance, with Quiet Riot, we're we're booked by and large every weekend into next year with a few gaps and a, and a few breaks for holidays and things like that. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much weekend warriors. You fly out, you do your shows, and uh, and you come home and reboot and go out and do it again. But that's just the way it is now. You know, the industry has changed that much. There's not as many venues to play, um, and so you uh, you do the best you can with what you have to work with. Yeah. 
Did, did you see the changes coming over the years, like where you where you everything like records were going to disappear and CDs were going to come out, then CDs were going to disappear and digital? And did you start seeing the changes in the business as you moved along through the decades? Well, the the only significant change that that I was aware of is um, with with the advent of the CD. Uh, I remember Kevin was thrilled because from Kevin's perspective is people are going to buy, you know, the Quiet Ride records all over again on, on CDs. My perspective on it was that any any industry that can create something like a CD, which is essentially uh, a master reproduction of, of the original master, uh, somebody is going to invent something that can copy it. Uh, and it's going to get it's it's going to really cut into the industry, and that's exactly what happened. I had no idea that digital uh, was going to come around and essentially destroy the uh, music industry as we knew it, because by and large, there's more illegal downloads and stolen music than there is music that's actually purchased. Yeah, well, you sounded frustrated with that when you put out the record with uh, Jizzy Pearl that you know people are going to get it for free and, and you didn't want that happening and you kind of pulled it. Do you think you'll ever revisit those songs? They were some great songs on that album yeah the my reasoning for taking it down was was both uh that as much as i tried to to police the content so it wouldn't be stolen i also received a lot of criticism from people saying no physical copies then i'm not supporting this uh i don't i don't you know buy digital i have to have physical copies and since it was um it was self-released self-produced and self-financed i said to myself okay you you're not interested in uh in the digital uh copies of it then i'm, I'm taking it off the market which is exactly what I did. Uh, will it ever see the light of day? Again, I've learned now to never say <laughs> never about anything. Uh, but at yeah. this point, I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated to do it. My motivation right now is to promote road rage uh, and uh, and keep moving forward instead of looking backwards. Yeah, I hear that. Hey, Frankie, you got two English people very pissed off. Bob Days and Lee Kerslake are going through the wall about that, <laughs> about the opening drum tracks on the Ozzy songs. Listen, they're making a much bigger a much bigger deal of it than uh, than it really is, and I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna add to it. You know, I mean they yeah. they can have they can have added amongst themselves. You know, I I uh, I um I set the record straight and and you know uh whatever it doesn't really matter. This is something this is something that that I was involved in um at least two years, I think, or at least a year before they were involved with Ozzy. So this is this is old news to me. It's not new news, you know, and I don't bring it up. It's it's when somebody asks me about it, the rare times that somebody asks me about it, I don't bring it up because it's not that important to me. So if they if they uh if they wanna, you know, continue to give it life, that's up to them. Yeah. Frank, I'm not gonna keep I know you've been doing these things all day and you were running late. I don't want to keep running late. But Road Rage is out right now, Frontier Records. I'm hoping that this is just the beginning of it again, and there'll be more and more coming out over the over the next couple of years and for many years to come after this. Well, Mike, I truly, again, really, really appreciate your support. And uh, and uh, on a on a private note, you know, I know that your wife got involved in an auto accident, and I hope uh, she's okay and she's going to be healing up soon. All right. Frankie, I can't thank you enough for that, and she's healing up just fine. I'm getting yelled at all day, so she's back to normal, I think. Fantastic. That's you know, when a woman is yelling at you, you know she's feeling good. Yeah, you know any woman, you can't beat them. There you go. <laughs> All right, my All friend, right. you take care. Take care, buddy. I'll see you when you get to New York the next time. Sounds like a plan. Let's go out and get a slice of pie. Absolutely. It's on me. Take care, buddy. All right, brother. Bye bye. 
All right, some old choir right, some new choir right before that. That was Old Habits Die Hard off the last record recorded with Kevin DeBro, the rehab record from about 10 years ago. And brand new Quiet Ride from the Road Rage record with Knock Em Down. I want to thank all my guests tonight. I want to thank Mikey Cuttingham from the F. I want to thank my paisan, Joe Cangelosi from Uncivil War, and my boy Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. Had a great time to talk with everybody tonight. Last week, I'm uh, sorry, last week, next week, we wrap up the month of August for 2017. We have a bunch of great guests on the show next week. Dark Age, the classic band from California. I believe all the members are coming on the show next week. I'm not sure yet, but I, I'm pretty sure they're all going to be on here. Uh, that album is being re-released pretty soon, so I'll talk to them about that. They're not back together, but maybe we could talk them into a reunion. You never know. And then Christian Harvard from Zentrex will be on the show next week. And then we go into September. The show will be nine years old. we got a great bunch of guests lined up and a lot more to come. We'll announce that probably sometime after next week's show. All right, let's wrap it up here tonight. A little Taipan with Breakout. Take care, everybody. I will see you next Sunday. Good night.
What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.